right, guys. Hey, it's Dr. Beard again. Um, this is the Self Care is the New Healthcare podcast today. We're going to be, um, this episode is about um, the GI microbiome and obesity and weight related issues. It's or, the, or the, uh, uh, the gut butt connection. The gut butt connection. <laughs> it's a part of our weight loss um, and obesity series. And so um, before we get started, let's listen to our guys, the Hillroys. I don't take nothing that a doctor don't prescribe. I don't do no drugs, man. I don't do no drugs, man. I don't smoke no blood, man. I don't do no drugs, man. It angers up that blood, man, so I don't do no All right, we're back. Let me get this out of the way. Um, this content is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide medical advice or to take the place of medical advice or treatment from a personal physician, and I am not your personal physician. Okay. All right, Paul. You've got your notes. I wrote, uh, wrote them up nicely for you. I hope you can read them. Well, you've not gone over this at all with me, so I will... <laughs> But we talk about the, the GI microbiome all the time. I know. I'm just trying to keep you up. And I, and I already know what I want to speak about. And this will be you. So why don't you just jump in what you have the first one is a GI microbiome. The facts. facts. Let's the facts. Let, there's some interesting facts. Some of you may have already know these. I've talked about them frequently. But, um, you know, the, we have a GI microbiome. We also have a uh, microbiome that exists on our skin, our eyes, our lungs, our urogenital tracts, our sinus cavities. We have these bacteria and other microbes that reside in and on us, and they serve important um, um, services for our health. And when they become out of balance, then they start wreaking havoc. And so when it comes to the GI microbiome, you have about a hundred and trillion, excuse me, a hundred trillion microbes living within your GI tract. That is a lot of microbes, about three to five pounds of, of microbes within your GI tract. And just so you have uh, put, so I can put this more into a context, you have about 10 times more bacteria than you do human cells so we're more we're more bacterial dna than human nice. at the end of the day okay so um and those the dna of that bacteria and other microbes are interacting with your human cell dna to cause it to express itself in various different ways could be good could be bad depending on the microbial uh, makeup and composition that exists in in you and outside of you. Okay. Pretty cool stuff. So there are over 400 known bacterial species that reside in us and on us. Um, and then, you know, there's, it's not just bacteria. There's bacteria, viruses, um, parasites, yeast, and other types of microbes that make up the microbiome. And uh, about 75 percent of uh, your immune system is um, within your GI tract and those microbial inhabitants are directly involved in that immune system. And how many you say there's 400 types? They've identified 400 different uh, bacterial species. So how come most of the probiotics we take are 10 or 15 strains? Well those are seem to be the most dominant ones that exist. Okay. That, that those exist in the larger amounts, the beneficial bacteria. They're, they're, um, you have all sorts, 
we're starting to map people's um, microbial um, or their GI microbiomes, and so we're trying to get an idea of just what exists there and in, in what type and what amounts and in what type of person. Right. You know, so because because we know that um, the the GI microbiome of obese people and those with chronic inflammatory diseases is different than those who aren't expressing a lot of inflammation and who are thinner. Right. That's kind of like the, um, the, uh, Acromanius, um, Acromanzia, Acromanzia municipalia. Yeah. Um, that it was identified that it was very low in obese patients, but probably 2% of a healthy person's microbiome. Mm-hmm. And then, um, Plexus tried to, the, the people who sell Plexus tra- came out with something that, as a fiber to make that grow. And it did grew like crazy. Out of control. And made the people sick. Yeah. Because um, that second word, the municipalia, that means it's, it eats the mucus. Right. And um, The mucus that is in your GI tract that protects the lining of your intestine. Right. So that's why it's the, uh, the healthy amount, that 2%. It's, it's a constant sloughing of that and a constant eating of that. So you always have a nice fresh layer to protect you. And in obese patients who don't have it, it gets thicker and thicker. And they're just, that's that. The biofilm. The biofilm and the out of balance. But when they gave it too much, it ate through the protection and it made the people sick. Right. So Plexus removed that. Yeah, and so that's that's just what happens when you try to manipulate one thing or another. You know, we think some is good, more must be better. That is not the case. And it's, a ba- it's a balancing act. Yeah, that's and that's why, you know, they have these GI mapping um, tests where you can, you know, uh, provide a stool sample and they can look at the bacteria. And then they want to make all types of... Um, recommendations based off your bacteria which I just don't think we're there yet and I, th- I think they're they've gotten ahead of themselves I think it's still the wild wild west well we're still learning that we're picking there's a lot of correlations that exist but mm-hmm. we don't know causation yet and I, and I see this time and time again whenever something new comes out everybody jumps on the bandwagon before they really understand what's going on and the complexities of everything and um, things don't always turn out like they want it like the Ancromanzia. Yeah, that was, that's one example. And we're still learning about how we're getting there. There's, It's not all lactobacilli and bifida strains. Or E. coli. And E. coli is not bad. I mean, we have a lot of E. coli in our GI tracts. It's, it's, it's supposed to be there. It's, it's a balancing the, act. It's the balance. Just like everything in our body, it's one big balancing act. Not only with your um, GI microbiome and the bacteria and the parasites and the, and the viruses and everything, but the rest of our body, too, the nutrients there, we're always in the, in the hormones and... And the um, and all the different metabolites, we're always trying to keep them in some balance, you know. Well, there, there's many reasons to allow your kids to play and get dirty, but this is one of them. Is that you know it exposes them, and there's actually spore-based good bacteria that we're getting from the the plants, the soil, from our gardens. Those are the things that we're still. You learning. cannot get away from bacteria, people. They're every. It's everywhere. Just um, if you're, you, even if you're just sitting beside somebody, their 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 bacteria that's on their skin is jumping over to you, and yours is jumping over there to them. And you, you share probably a lot of um, the same uh, bacteria that you do if you have a pet. Mm-hmm. You know, a dog, cat, whatever it is that you have. That's so it. we're all sharing bacteria, and that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. Well, it is because that's why you find that. Time and time again, kids that are exposed to nature, they're out getting dirty, mm-hmm. and who have pets, because that's a involuntary way of getting nature, because the, the pets are out doing their thing and then coming in. 
that's a good thing. Yeah, and they even they they did some interesting research that showed that um, kids who grew up on farms um, had, you know, slightly different parasite loads in their intestines versus the city kids, and they didn't have a lot of the um, allergies and things like that that city kids did. But you know that there's a lot of things at play there, pollution and what what have you. But there was other things like eczema and stuff that the kids didn't have either. And then they've also found this. Um, group of people in South America who have a particular um, microbiome composition and parasite load that um, they haven't really found anywhere else. And these people do not have any incidence of Alzheimer's. So are their fecal transplants becoming a high demand? They have become much more commonplace and we're seeing good outcomes for, for what, some with fecal tell, tell what that is. transplant. So fecal transplants is basically just taking um, a, a stool sample from a, quote, healthy person um, and inserting it into um, one that is not healthy or experiencing a lot of inflammation. Usually it's with ulcerative colitis patients mm-hmm. and Crohn's patients. Those um, They qualify often for these fecal transplants or people who have chronic C. diff infections. And um, the outcomes are um, not perfect. They don't work for everybody, but they work for some. But we're still, at least initially, okay? We don't have any long-term studies. And so, or at least none that I'm aware of that are, um, that I want to, you know, rely upon. Um, it seems pretty extreme. It's extreme, but, but a lot of times what's happening is they get better initially um, but then the symptoms return because there's a lot more at play than just tr- than just these um, than just transplanting some poop. There's lots of things that impact your gut microbiome that you really can't control in some of these groups. You know, there's a lot of environmental things that need to be considered and lifestyle behaviors that impact your gut microbiome other than the food that you consume, I which mean- we're going to talk about. So, um, we've got past the facts. That was a lot of facts. And uh, what's, what would what, what I have there for number two? You have recent studies, appetite and metabolism. Oh, yeah. So, I was when I was doing some research, just kind of seeing what, what's, what everybody's talking about out there in the web. And, you know, they, there's so much research on the formicutes and bacterial, bacteroides species that... Um, seem to be prevalent or not prevalent in um, obese people and that's just two bacterial species and so they again I think that they want to just focus in on on these two bacterial species and then no one goes beyond that as to why why is there this well, discrepancy okay it, it goes back into that allopathic model what can I give you what can I test for and what can I give and you? And then what can I do? Which yeah. means what can I sell you? And then, yeah, nobody's, no one's ever just stepping back and, and, and working upstream as to why these particular bacterial species are out of whack when there's a lot of other things that are out of whack. Too. It's the stress, the sleep, yeah, all the right. things you need to go over again. So, and, so when I was looking at some of the research out there, you know, I was not surprised by what I, what I found. It, it pretty much, uh, I already knew a lot of this stuff, but, you know, there's... These, the bacteria that reside within our microbiome, um, they have different effects. They, they, they affect your appetite and metabolism depending on the makeup, mm-hmm. all right? And so you can have um, two people that basically eat the same food, but 
they're going to have two different metabolic outcomes based on the the bacterial makeup of their microbiome. So you can, and that's that explains a lot of people are like, I eat the same thing so-and-so does, you know, but she's losing weight and I'm gaining weight. It's because a lot of it has to do with the bacterial makeup and the balance of the bacteria that reside in your GI microbiome. It's because some of these um, certain bacteria will, um, so changes in the gut flora can you know, increase the rate at which we absorb fatty acids and carbohydrates and, and, the, and increase the storage of the energy as fat based upon the makeup of your GI microbiome. So, you know, again, um, how do you change that? Does it affect how quickly the food moves through us in addition to what we're absorbing? Well, that, of course, that can be the, what do you mean? What well, kind of, the, of, the, of, the, of the, the, the caloric load on one person is higher and one, one's lower depending on that eating the same food. Is that because it's just because? It's, I don't think it has to do with a motility issue and moving through it's no. just how those bacteria are processing those foods right exactly okay yeah um, because i mean all these bacteria produce different metabolites they all pr- produce different things and they and it depends on what they're being fed as well you know so there's so it's so complex and complicated and yet beautiful it um and to try to oversimplify it you know is to you know all these therapies for oh you've got this bacteria you need to do this um, I think at the end of the day, if we just step back, because it really never changes what I do, because most people are eating, when they come to me with these, I was like, okay, great. You did a stool study. You know, they always want to go straight to testing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I want to do this test. Um, and I'm like, well, you, we don't really need to go there just yet because you're still doing so many things wrong. Let's wait, you know, because uh, I don't care if it comes back and shows me that, you know, you've got too much yeast or or, um, oh, this bacterial species is dominating this one. It's not going to really change what I do. You're eating bad. We've got to eat good. And that's why it's, it's futile to try to determine your diet prior to fixing your gut because you're going to get bad data. Yeah. I mean, it's just, if, especially if you pointed out that someone can gain weight or lose weight depending on their gut bacteria. So the reason, you know, so how does this you know, this imbalance of our gut microbiome, um, how does it lead to obesity? And we've just gone over a couple of examples, you know, that um, it, it produces these different metabolic outcomes and, and increases the rate at which you absorb fatty acids and energy and that gets stored as fat and everything else. But uh, dysbiosis or, or an overabundance of bad bugs, and I really don't like using bad bugs You know, I think they're all supposed to be there in some amount. I think they become bad when there's an overabundance or an imbalance of certain ones. So, um, but that can directly, dysbiosis or an imbalance of your GI microbiome can directly contribute to metabolic syndrome because it increases insulin production and leptin resistance. Directly. Explain leptin because they're not. So leptin is an appetite hormone and it it controls your appetite and so when you have leptin resistance your body might be producing it but it's it's not getting the signal so it's never shutting off that appetite center in your brain that's communicating with you to eat so uh, we we notice that uh, occurs a lot in people who have dysbiosis 
and are struggling with weight issues. The, the receptors are our cell receptors or it's the bacteria for the leptin? Those are, that, that primarily is occurring in their brain. But the bacteria obviously are In your gut, and there's, the, and there's the gut-brain connection, you know. Um, so that's one way um, that it, you know, can increase um, fat storage. What about for insulin? Does it, did it affect the insulin production or? Well, it causes, um, it increases insulin production. Okay. Which is going to make you fat. And make you hungry. And make you hungry as well, yes. So there's a lot of, and, and just, um, so that alone is going to make you fat. And then you, then you just have to talk about systemic inflammation in general. So when you have um, a microbiome that is imbalanced, or and or you know dysbiosis um you you are at a much greater risk for having something called gut permeability or leaky gut and when that happens um you know food particles toxins food proteins leak across the the gut barrier and the immune all those immune cells that lie along our gi tract um attack them like they are foreign invaders like they should that's their job but in in doing so um, it causes systemic inflammation. There's all these um, inflammatory cytokines that are secreted, and the inflammation goes systemic. It goes everywhere. Okay, it doesn't just stay localized to your GI tract. And the those cytokines that are released um, directly impact um, insulin levels, um, insulin resistance. And again, that is going to um, cause you to gain more weight and increase adipose tissue. It's also, in fact, impacting your thyroid gland, <laughs> which also plays a huge role in how we store fat, utilize fat, and um, burn energy. So, I mean, the gut is the, 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 the. It's control center. It's control center. It is the control center. You, you didn't explain, I mean, and it always goes bad. Everything in functional medicine always goes back to what is the most natural and what did we used to do? But a vaginal birth versus a C-section birth and breastfeeding versus formula, those two things can greatly impact your yeah. microbiome from a childhood. I mean, that's, that's basically how you come out of the gate, no pun intended. You're coming out of the, of the vaginal mm-hmm. um, canal. You're ingesting all of this good bacteria, hopefully. And mm-hmm. then another one for mothers, if you're not healthy, you're passing your bad bacteria onto that kid. Yeah. So there's a, you know, starting out behind the eight ball. If you're, if you're not eating healthy during pregnancy, you're going to have that child's going to be a disadvantage or an advantage depending on well, what you're doing. Yeah. The mother's microbiome during pregnancy plays a big impact on the, the, on the fetus. Mm-hmm. And in all sorts of ways, and even their microbiome. Well, it, and the, the health of uh, a lot of the African nations plummeted because the evil corporation Nestle sounds like a fun company because they make Nestle Quick and that they're just they're right up there with Monsanto. With the is, bunny is, rabbits on yeah, everything. Yeah, they're up there with Monsanto as being as the biggest a holes in the planet. But they did a propaganda campaign, um, campaign telling these mothers who had been doing it a million years <laughs> naturally, no, no formula is better so they got everyone what what kind of nonsense is that well it's even more insidious than that they knew damn well that they did not have access to good water so they're mixing bad water with with formula formula and giving it to an infant who has not developed their resistance 
And so they're just inoculating this gut with bad stuff. And the, the, the health went precipitously down. So much now that there's actually been lawsuits, class action suits, and they've stopped this practice. But yeah, breast milk and a, a natural birth are the two best things you can do for your child if you're healthy to get them off to the right start. Yeah, and that's, you know, when I was doing the research, it, it I did found, find some that showed that, you know, infants who aren't breastfed and are born to mothers with bad gut flora are more likely to develop to de- to de- develop unhealthy gut flora composition themselves. So they're already off to a bad start. Well, when makes, get I mean, if you look at the obesity epidemic, it, you know, we, we always like to say it's the last eighty or hundred years, but really, you and I were talking last night. It's since the, the in the nineteen eighties, there were still a lot more thin people than there were obese people. And now, in the last 20, 25 years, that's changed. And I think it's a lot of the bad diet for the last 50 years mm-hmm. is now we're starting to see the generational impact. And it's not just diet. See, it's a lot of other things that are impacting our, our microbiome other than the foods we're putting into our mouths. And that's why everybody wants to focus on the food, the food, which is a very, very important and can take care of a lot of issues for a lot of people if they just clean up their diet. But there's a lot of other things that are contributing to... Um, GI dysbiosis and, and poor and or imbalances within the GI microbiome. Um, I think let me just look at your list real quick because mm-hmm. uh, I wrote some stuff down on yours that I didn't um, write on mine. And and because I want to, people to understand that at the cellular level, obesity and all your other chronic inflammatory conditions, which basically include almost all everything that we're dealing with these days is an inflammation and immune dysregulation problem. Okay, start thinking of obesity as not a lack of willpower or I'm just not, you know, too many calories in versus not burning them off through exercise. Stop making it that simple. It's much more complicated than that. It truly is an immune um, dysfunction issue, and there's lots of things that contribute to that. I mean, right. Bad diets are just one of the things. If you look at the two hormones that supposedly control a lot of our appetite, leptin and ghrelin. Mm-hmm. That's just two that we know of. That we know okay? of. But <laughs> There's we, a lot of other things that do too. You know, that's where will, you, can, you know, willpower doesn't mean anything. If those are out of whack, you know, you're, you're asking a lot of your willpower. If, you're, if your leptin is not saying that you're full and your ghrelin saying you're hungry. And... But I just, we just talked about the, the fact that you can have two people who eat the same food Yet one will gain weight and one will lose weight because of the bacterial composition in their GI microbiome. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, regardless of whether or not they're hungry or not, they just eat the, these foods and one gets fat and one gets, gets skinny. Just the, the, the hunger cues exacerbate the problem. Yes, that's an exacerbation. And, you know, when you, when you have all this inflammation, like if you have, because in my practice we see a lot of people who have, I suspect, leaky guts. We don't always test for it, but I can, you know, you kind of pick up on it on their symptoms, and you can just go ahead and assume that they do because there's a lot of inflammation in their GI tracts because of you can tell by their symptoms and what they're eating and, and what's going on in their life. But, you know, whenever you have a leaky gut and those food proteins and toxins and stuff are leaking across your GI tract and encountering those um, those immune cells that lie along your GI tract and, you know, it sets off that systemic inflammation response, then that's going to cause alterations in all kinds of things, right? Um, especially altered insulin responses, which then makes you fat, right? 
uh, because it makes you much more um, likely to um, increase adipose tissue when that happens. And the more adipose tissue, and your adipose tissue or your fat cells are secreting their own inflammatory cytokines and estrogen-like compounds. That is a recipe to just make you more fat. So it's a big vicious cycle when you're carrying extra weight because the inflammation is making you fat and the fat cells themselves are secreting more inflammatory cytokines that are making you more fat. (laughs) So you have to break the cycle and um, it takes a holistic approach to do that. It's not just, hey, eat more salads. You know, that's... (laughs) That's, yeah, that's a good thing to do. You know, getting more green leafy vegetables is a good thing to do, but that is going to take, it's going to take more than that to do so. Right. To, to overcome that, that cycle. Um, and, and having high insulin levels and estrogen together, you're asking for the C word, cancer. Mm-hmm. Cancer loves that, loves, loves all that sugar, that, that, those high insulin levels and estrogen. It's a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm. And we see it in, I've seen it happen in a lot of people. Um, it's like, lo and behold, you know, they're, they don't, they're carrying all this extra weight and you're telling them, you know, we've got to get serious about this. And they're like, I know, I know, I, I really do. And then lo and behold, they, you know, announce that they have cancer. And so that's why you got to take this, take obesity seriously or weight issues you don't have to i'm not talking about morbidly obese even if you're carrying an extra 20 to 30 pounds that is a that's a red flag people that is you've got a lot of inflammation going on and if you don't address why it's occurring it's going to express itself as other issues well like the the covid connection with obesity is really not the obesity it's the gut issue or it's, the, it's just they're in, they're in a state of immune dysregulation, and the virus is going to take advantage of that. You're weak. And it's not, going to go, it's not going to go well for them. Yeah, normally we're prepared to fight, and you're not, so you succumb. Right. Their, their body is already um, fighting the inflammation that's going on in their body because of being obese and what's causing the obesity. And then, lo and behold, the virus comes on and just takes advantage of it, and just they can't overcome it. I mean, or are they at least, you know— they can if they're given the right, you know, um, treatments early on. They can. I mean, that's what happens in nature. The the weak animals get taken out. Right. This unfortunately, the predator right now happens to be a virus. Right. And it's just you. You. But we don't have to be weak. No, you don't have to be susceptible to COVID. No. You know, it's just we want to make sure your immune system is functioning well, and that usually does the trick. Okay, and I, I, I like you know. They were, this, this person was, was um, they got the flu and they died and they were completely healthy. This completely healthy person died from the flu. And I'm like, hmm, let's back up. I don't think that person was completely healthy. Well, their labs are normal. Yes. <laughs> their last wellness visit was perfect. Those 16 labs were good. The doctor checked all the good boxes. Yes. So anyway, that's, okay. I don't want to get off on that because that just gets me angry. Um, but what else is on our list that well, I got for you? Well, now you're going to talk about the impacts you know, we, we've kind of explained the, the problems, but you went through the gut permeability, the systemic inflammation, the cytokine storm. Then you talked about the impacts of the GI microbiome, the, the diet, the chronic Yeah, stress. so so what really has the biggest impacts on your GI microbiome? And everybody's microbiome is going to be different, mm-hmm. okay? 
Um, no one is the same. There are generalities that we see. You know, we do know that there are certain bacteria that um, in healthy uh, people tend to exist in large amounts. We named some of them earlier, lactobac- lactobacillus species, E. coli, bifidobacterium, but there's lots of other things too. Right. But the, the amounts are going to vary slightly from person to person, and that's okay. Um, it's just when they get grossly out of balance or you have overabundance of yeast and, and other parasites that are, or, excuse me, bacteria that typically reside in small amounts start growing out of control, then you have problems, and then you start seeing things go wrong. Or symptoms develop. And you cannot move this bacterial load quickly. No, it can't happen overnight. And in fact, it can take um, a year or more to completely overhaul your GI microbiome. For some, it can happen much sooner. Um, For others, it takes longer. I think that's why it's important to develop a program for yourself that is constantly, slowly fixing it. And you and I have had this discussion. She won't buy into this because... Well, one, I'm not the doctor, and she is. But I've always, I like looking at food anthropology and what we did. And if you look at most cultures, they either drank a, um, a wine or, or a tea or something in their diet that killed off bacteria. And it's going to kill off indiscriminately. It's going to kill both good and bad. But those same people were also ingesting things that were good, such as fermented items. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that over a year, that's going to transition you to a very healthy microbiome because all right you have your your gut bacteria and you kill off you know 10 good guys and 10 bad guys but then i come back and i replace them with 20 good guys and i do that over and that's what we do in our uh, total our total gut job program we use the five r approach you know Mm -hmm. it's we're replacing you know the uh, removing replacing repopulating and the aggressiveness that we do the removal is based on your like a candida score and some other things that we make you self-evaluate of how bad. Because if you're really bad off, it is advantageous to kill off more quickly and replace more aggressively. Well, it just it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, 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 well, we won't go on until well, that. I mean, we're using, in, in the Total Gut Job, we're using um, clove oil, oregano oil, and thyme oil. And it's, it's in one gel cap, and it's it kills off a lot of things. It kills off, there's any fungal properties, there's antibacterial properties, and these anti-parasitic properties in those three oils. And guess what? Those are things that we all had in our foods. It comes back to nature. You know, people cook with these items. That goes back to what I said about the, um, the foods that we ingest that kill off good things, but you're replacing them with, because you also are eating fermented cabbage, you're eating fermented this, and that's replacing it all the time. That's how you get to that homeostasis mm-hmm. of a good gut where you're always slowly working on your gut. You know, you shouldn't, you're not going to rehab it in one day. So do yeah. it all the time. Anyway, that's, that's my theory, folks. That's, <laughs> and I think that's why we've developed these herbs and... and well, things can go awry. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it just depends on what's going on in your environment. If you, um, let's just say your village got attacked by another village that was a stressful event, probably took its toll on your GI microbiome. There's probably some things that... Um, it got, you had some little dysbiosis there and people started kind of feeling it. So they'd go over there and grab their herbs, eat some, calm it down. And then, you know, so also, they learned what, the, 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 what was good. The bad bacteria, and this is a generalization, the bad bacteria tends to be more aggressive in repopulation, especially like if you leave a void in your stomach. And when we say bad, it's, 
it's a, it's a particular bacteria that is is growing in abundance, yes. overabundance, right? Where it sh- normally should not. I mean, you you got to look at your, your your microbiome as a as a neighborhood, mm-hmm. and when the houses are empty, either good or bad can move in. So when All you right. when you kill them off, you're you're killing off good and bad. Those houses become available. Now more bacteria can move in. Who's going to move in? Is it going to be good or bad? And this is, you know, this is why antibiotics are so insidious. It, and we're going to talk about that. Okay, I'll leave that because it wipes out the whole neighborhood. Yeah. And so it, and it really makes it, you're more likely to develop bad back coming yeah. back in because it, again, it comes in more aggressively. Well, there's some species that do grow more easily than others. And it, so, and then you, you have to kind of keep your eye on eye out on this especially what you're feeding it right like candida just exactly so easy to feed it with right. simple sugars so so what uh, you know what impacts your gi microbiome diet okay that's a that's a no-brainer what you put into your mouth is going to impact your gi microbiome and it can either be a, a good or bad and so let's discuss some of the bad things that you might be consuming that are doing harmful things to your gi microbiome and then making you fat okay um, processed foods. Let's just can't. Let's just get rid of those. Okay. Let's just not even have those as an option. Convenience is killing us. Convenience folks. is killing us. This is not even, not even food. All right. It's so just get over it. Just go ahead and accept that. Make peace with it. I'm not going to eat processed foods anymore. I'm not going to put poison into my body. All right. So in, in processed foods, I'm meaning that. The foods that have a lot of the additives and preservatives, the the corn syrup, the high fructose corn syrup, the artificial um, flavorings and food colorings, the bad oils, you know, the, it's just hydrod, you know, these these soybean oils that are processed very poorly. Folks, Walmart has a mandate. If you want to supply to them, your if this is excluding fresh items. But any of the packaged items, whether it's jarred or canned or dried, has to have a five-year shelf life for them to accept your product. Do you know what kind of adulteration you have to do to that product? And they're not just using salt like they did in the back, you know, the the old days. And salt won't keep it it fresh for five years. You know, even, even when I can, you know, we do our own canning. Even when I can, I try to get rid of last year's. I mean, it does last longer than that. But the, if you're doing things naturally, the shelf life, you might be able to extend it to one or two. But to push it to five years, that's why all, everything in these stores is so heavily processed. Because they've mandated it has to have a five-year shelf life, which means you're putting all kinds of crap in there. Yeah. So if, if, we've got to, you've got to start thinking of food as medicine. And medicine for your gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. All right. There's things that they like and thrive on, and you want to provide that to them. And it's not going to come in a box with a shelf life of two, three years. No. This, get away from that. It, you need to start eating real, whole, unadulterated, or overly processed foods, mm-hmm. I should say. So, you know, what does that mean? Come on. It's common sense, right? Fruits and vegetables. Fruits and vegetables. Meats. Uh, High-quality meats, grass-fed uh, cage-free. No antibiotics or no hormones. No antibiotics or hormones. Um, those types of meats. Um, you want a wide variety of um, foods in general. I know the hormones. And are- lots of fiber. The, the microbiome, the bacteria. You know, we talk about probiotics. I like probiotics. I think people should take them, especially if you're not into eating 
fermented foods or if you're not eating a lot of fiber or fermentable fibers mm-hmm. um, because th- those are called prebiotics. And for me, I think they're probably more important than the probiotics that you take. Um, the analogy I like to use for that, folks, is because I'm the gardener, your probiotics are the seeds. Yeah. Your prebiotics are the, the fertilizer. Yeah. And so if you, if you don't have the fertilizer, you're not going to grow these. And you cannot take enough. It's difficult to take enough probiotics. To, you're going to have to take them every day. Well, if you think, oh, oh but it has 20 billion. It's, that's nothing. <laughs> 20 billion um, colony-forming units yeah. is not a lot. No, when we think about we have three to five pounds of bacteria, look at the size of that, pro- that probiotic. It weighs nothing. So that's basically what you're getting. But it's important. And a lot of that is the capsule that it comes in. Right. So you've got um, you know, the, the prebiotics, the fiber, which you get from. You don't have to. Fiber in all forms. Uh, I mean, it, it could be it's your fermentable fibers and you're talking about your your um your vegetables and your fruits and your mm-hmm. which have both soluble and insoluble fiber mm-hmm. the, the, the your pectins yeah your so, like the pectins one of the easiest one because when you mm-hmm. apple a day keeps the doctor away mm-hmm. there is a lot of truth in that people a lot of yep. truth yes because pectin we're finding is not only a soluble fiber but it's also a toxin remover mm-hmm. There's a lot of good things that it does. Yeah. In fact, pectin is like one of the number number one things you use for toxin removal if you're doing some type of. Uh, yeah, when we when we are detoxing people, mm-hmm. and I take a very conservative approach with detoxing. I don't even use um, the chelators like DMSA and EDTA anymore, primarily because we're doing stuff online, and I, I just and I think you it should probably be done slower. And pectins are citrus pectin, apple pectins mm-hmm. are a good way to help with that process which means eating apple and orange. And we'll talk about detoxification at some point. Um, and so, so food, all right? Food in the fiber is your prebiotics. It's what's feeding those bacteria so that they can thrive and reproduce because they're constantly reproducing, dying off. And so you have to replenish them. You mm-hmm. know, that's why your food is so important and what you choose to put into your mouth. It goes full circle, folks, back to why, why are we here and why do we need probiotics? Well, we've eliminated how we used to eat. Yeah, nobody eats fermented foods anymore. And what do we mean by fermented? When I say fermented food, that doesn't mean just sauerkraut. And most of the sauerkraut you're buying is not fermented. It's, it's just vinegar. Right. But fermented meat, it has the lactobacilli, which makes it tart and sour. All of our pickles, all of our sauerkraut, many of our vegetables were preserved 150 years ago, especially prior to canning. We used a lot of lactobacilli fermentation. And this goes for ketchup, mustard, Yeah, you used to ferment those too. So you're getting basically probiotics constantly. You're eating from the garden. You're getting prebiotics constantly. You're eating raw foods from the garden. So you're getting soil-based, spore-based probiotics constantly. I got some this morning from our lettuce and our blueberries. And you're... Pop those babies in my mouth. And you're eating herbs and, and drinking small amounts of, of wine. And that's that homeostasis that we developed... Uh, and or, if you or, pick them really down low, you get dog urine. That's why I don't. <laughs> don't eat. Don't don't. If eat you the, come to our house and pick blueberries, don't get them down low because Bo has marked every single one of them. And don't eat the yellow snow, <laughs> and don't eat where Bo can <laughs> snow, hike his leg. <laughs> hike his leg. He Thank marks you, Bo. He marks them constantly. I know, and he got rid of a lot of good ones. I guess I could 
wash them or whatever. Fortunately, that's just the most of these bushes are big. Yeah. So. Anyway, we got off track a little bit. No, but it's, it's, it, that's how important diet is. And if you need to understand what we used to do to go back to it. Because folks, they're not trying to sell you something right here. This is something you really can do for no money. In fact, fermenting your own stuff at home is so easy. So, so easy. I mean, your cabbage. And it's kind of fun. Yeah. And, and if you, and the thing is, try it. And if it screws up, throw, Who it cares? Out, yeah, throw it out. That's just a little bit of cabbage. But you'll learn really quickly. I mean, it's, it, basically the salt prevents the bad bacteria from growing. And the lactobacilli can thrive in a salty environment. Therefore, it has a competitive advantage. So it takes over. It's really no difference in our gut. When one bacterial species grows too much, is because it has a competitive advantage. Right. So all you're doing with fermented items is creating a competitive advantage for the lactobacilli the salts that advantage and you can ferment anything some most of your vegetables will naturally ferment if you put your carrots in a clean water with salt they'll start fermenting same as the cabbage and there's other things you can use to inoculate them this is the way we used to do it folks and it was easy and it's tasty when it was like well what is a fermented it's tart in fact if you, if you like a really good pickle that's the way pickles used to be mm -hmm. done and it makes them so nice i do i love like we eat bubby's pickles when we don't ferment our own, mm -hmm. which I'm a big fan of Bubby's pickles. Yep. And they're good. Yeah, if you, and if you buy um, Bubby's, they make a sauerkraut and a pickle, you can actually use that juice as part of your inoculate right. for the next one. So You don't even a, have to go find your own. You just use that. Or you can put a probiotic in there. That's really how we simple. We did that, too. Now just to see. We were, we were um, checking the quality of our probiotic by doing some experiments with it and seeing if it would, you know. Inoculate. Inoculate. And it, and it did. did, yeah. Yeah. And you can go too fast and it spoils. But anyway, that's... It always comes full circle. What we used to do, and that's how it fixes. And you it. were talking about, you know, giving the advantage to certain bacteria. Whenever you're eating a lot of sugar and carbs, you are giving the advantage to yeast. And like I said, you some exist normal in normal, you know, normally in our guts. They're part of our gut microbiome. But when you start feeding, you know, start eating a lot of sugar or carbs you're giving them a big advantage and they're going to grow out of control and candida particularly has very toxic metabolites that um, often impact your liver and you can see people's liver enzymes go up because of it yep. um, and so um, and a lot of just excessive amounts of carbs and fructose and and uh, corn syrup and things like that you'll see people's um, cholesterol levels go up their triglyceride levels go up and it's because it's it's um it's hindering w the job that the liver normally does it's having a it's a, having a toxic effect on the liver it's an additional job it has to do mm -hmm. that it normally does not right and a lot of fatty liver we hear that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is a lot of it is a, it is, is a, a disease of Poor diet and excessive amounts of, of carbs and sugar. Well, it's almost, you know, it's funny they call it non-alcoholic, but they actually get to the same point by the same way. The alcohol has a lot of sugar. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's doing a double whammy. It's killing off both good and bad, but then it's providing alcohol sugar, which gets broken down and can be... And alcohol has to be detoxified. So it, it, so now you're getting the, the same candida overgrowth from the that plus the alcohol yeah. has to be processed poor liver so we're, you know again so we're talking about things that impact the microbiome alcohol is another one mm -hmm. um and i'm sorry i'm just the messenger here all right you know i'm not saying occasional glass of wine or a beer is going to be that big of a deal but if you're 
if you are a regular alcohol drinker, um, it's it's doing bad things to your your microbiome, and um, going to probably contribute to a leaky gut. And if you're drinking light in the evening, it's going to disrupt your sleep, which is what we need to talk about next, mm-hmm. which is chronic stress. And chronic stress occurs in, in in many different forms. You have the physical, mental, emotional, and then just the the stress of um, the metabolic derangements that are occurring in your body. And it's really how it impacts what we call your HPA axis, your uh, hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, and how it, it can cause some, um, you know, your adrenal glands to secrete a lot of cortisol um, because it's stressed, whether it's emotional, um, physical from over-exercising, you're burning the candles at both ends, what have you. Um, that's going to impact your gut health. Primarily, because it can directly impact the gut bacteria, but it, can, but it, it, it slows down. Whenever you're stressed like that, it tends to um, slow down gut motility, so people will often become constipated mm-hmm. when they're stressed. Some people have diarrhea, and that could be because um, chronic stress can impact uh, enzymatic activity. We have enzymes in our GI tract, in our stomach, our pancreas secretes enzymes, and then we have enzymes that um, are produced in the what we call the brush border of uh, of your small intestine. And so, they all these enzymes work on different food proteins. I mean, I, I mean, uh, food components. I mean, I do almost everything right as far as sleep and eating, but I do have stress management issues sometimes, and I it, it I can tell. You know, that's when I have problems with my GI tract. I get reflux. And reflux is often a sign of dysbiosis and leaky gut. And I know a lot, like my, I have an uncle who was having horrible reflux. His diet's not that great, but he was stressed out. He, he, he works a lot. He, he was working a lot. And um, he started taking our probiotics and his reflux went away. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's great, you know, I'm so, but let's address the reason why you needed the probiotics to begin with. And his stress has improved. He yeah, he's, yeah, a lot, a lot. But still, you know, um, again, I'm always wanting to peel back the layers and like, why, why are you needing these things? I mean, that really is functional medicine. You know, why do you need something? Before we give it, we need to figure out why you need it. If we're going to give it to you, it's going to be a temporary. And I don't want the probiotics to be a Band-Aid to allow you to continue making poor lifestyle choices regarding your, your diet and not managing your stress right. You know, I'm glad that I'm glad that probiotic, you know, helped your reflux and all. Mm-hmm. Um, but why did, why did it develop in the first place? So you have to address it there as well. Yeah, you, you, obviously, you're, you know, you, you had some microbiome imbalance issues, and it corrected it temporarily, and it's, and it's managing to do so right now, but um, other things are, he, he has other inflammatory issues, too. I'm not going to say the name. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to go back to diet, but we missed a huge one, and that's hydration. Water. Yeah, I mean, fluid. water's one of the easiest things for you to change. Municipal water, just think about it, folks. It's not, it's not brain surgery. It, you go, your swimming pool, they put chlorine in it. To, bring, to kill bacteria. To keep it clean and bacteria. They're putting chlorine in the municipal water to get it through our pipes so it's not you know, toxic when it gets to us. But by giving it clean water, 
It's also cleaning out our GI system of good bacteria. It's going to have an effect on your bacteria in your GI tract. You're drinking chlorine. Just like it would it in your swimming pool. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is not difficult to understand. Then, of course, you have other things. And fluoride is a big one for what? me in that, you know, they used to use fluoride as a, as a treatment for hyperthyroidism. Okay. So they basically give you fluoride to and now calm it down. Yeah, and so now it's in our water. And in, 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 in some water sources, it's in amounts that are, are enough to suppress thyroid function. Well, and people are drinking, consuming tap water all day long, and they're consuming all this fluoride. And so that's going to impact your thyroid gland. In fact, we can test for your fluoride levels. We, we have a urine test. Uh, it's called a urine halide test. And so we can check for things like bromide and fluoride and iodine all the things that impact your thyroid. Mm-hmm. You, know. well, you also look at the, those, the, the amounts they're putting in are so minuscule, there's no way they're going to get a homogeneous distribution of that. When you're looking at parts... It depends on where, where, how downstream you are from the water source. Right, so our, our house is... We're at the very end of... of the, so we, they put a ton of chlorine in to get it to us right. where it's still potable. Who's water. getting that first I can't imma- sample? Yeah, I can't imagine how chlorinated it is. And then the same thing with the fluoride. You're putting this in, but you might not be getting the three part, you know, the, the small parts per million. You might be getting a higher dose. Um, there is litigation out. Uh, there's a class action right For now. For the fluoride, yeah. yeah. There's a doctor that's taking this to the courts, and I'm so glad he's doing that. Um, yeah. the, because the, the reason they started putting it in our water, and you can go research this yourself. I don't want to, I want to keep this, kind of wrap things up in just a second, but the, the, the whole research we're putting in our water is so bonk. And, and my brother will argue with this because he's one of my brothers is a, is a dentist. He's like, well, it's good for your teeth. I said, I didn't, I'm not arguing that it's good for your teeth. I'm just saying it's a stupid delivery system. He goes, well, it, I don't even use fluoride. I don't use, I use fluoride-free toothpaste. And my last checkup last week was great. Well, I don't even, I've never had a cavity. I'm, I'm I've, one of those weird ones. Yeah, I haven't had a cavity ever. in forever. And, oh, ever for me. And and before I was using fluoride toothpaste, and now I don't use it. I have no cavities, no gun, no sensitivity. My teeth look great. Well, I would at least I, I would at least compromise and, and not ingest it. At least with the, the brushing your teeth, you can spit it back out. Yeah, but you're still absorbing some. I understand, but anyway, it, it does help teeth. I'm, we're not arguing that it helps teeth. We're just saying that it also has an affinity to touch to your attached to your thyroid. So it's going to be, it's going to end up bad for you. You know, and, and the thing about the chlorine again, you know, I, I don't even like swimming in chlorinated pools because it breaks my skin out. Well, again, you have a microbiome on your skin. Exactly. And I just, you know, my, my niece and nephew want me to go swimming. I'm like, great. Now I'm going to have to deal with, you know, a face full of zits if I duck my head under. And they break out on the rest of my body, too. Well, because you've destroyed your biome on your skin, and then you've, compet- you've created an environment that's not able to protect itself. I don't know if any of you have ever, you know, had that issue, but it's certainly an issue for me. I mean, in, we've got to call it when we ski, we always used a hot tub after skiing. Ooh. And, yeah. and But we, after, so after, after 20 minutes in the hot tub, you'd feel so quote, relaxed. You weren't relaxed. You were tired because that chlorine was, you're absorbing it and it made you exhausted. So people like, I was so relaxed after that hot tub. It's like, no, you were so exhausted. No, your body was overburdened by toxins. Yeah. You're, you're shutting down. And it's not just chlorine they put in those hot tubs either. It's a lot of other stuff. To, To prove my point, we would go down to the hot springs along the river where you can poach and you walk on the river and there's natural hot springs. You stack rocks up and you create your own hot tub. 
we'd go down there and drink for hours. I would, bet you did. And would never get tired because it's fresh, clean water that happens to be hot as opposed to that chlorine. We never got that heavy post. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Ding, ding, ding. I was like, this is, I'm never going to a hot tub again. And folks, that slimy stuff on the outside of the hot tub, if you ever want an example of a biofilm that we always talk about, that's a biofilm. Yeah. Nasty. All right. All right. So continuing on, what other things impact your GI microbiome? Um, a big one is the overuse and misuse of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we finally recognize that this is an issue, okay, in the medical community. We're overprescribing these things for any little sniffle, cold symptom, or, you know, people would get an antibiotic. Um, and then, of course, there are a lot of people that don't take them correctly. So that even um, further causes issues. But um, antibiotics, you know, I'm, there's times when they're necessary. Okay, and I'm glad we have them, but um, they are causing a lot of dysbiosis. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a lot of people will develop C. diff infections after a course of antibiotics. Because their natural protection is not there. Right. They've killed off a lot of the bacteria and they eliminated a lot of the competition for C. diff. And he's like, woohoo. Yeah, right. I'm gonna it's run time he- to party. I'm going to party. I'm going to ruin your health. Yeah. And so, um, and we now know that kids who take a lot of antibiotics tend to have weight issues um, as young adults Mm -hmm. and um, it's because of the dysbiosis that occurs and whenever I have people who are taking you know antibiotics you know for whatever sniffle cold whatever I'm like okay why is your immune system so bad that you're needing antibiotics? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's not just stop there. This is not normal. Stre- no. strep Ca- is- chronic strep infections. Why are you getting chronic strep infections? Your immune system sucks. Why? U- UTIs. And urinary tract infections. Again, why are you getting these all the time? Um, and so... Quick question real quick. Uh-huh. How do you repopulate your, your, your genital tract? Is it the same mechanism that we populate our... Mm-hmm. So it just migrates through? There's, what do you mean? Well, if you take an antibiotic for a UTI, you're killing, right. you're killing off the it, infection, it, but also you're killing off the, the, the natural biome that you have mm-hmm. in your, in your urogenital tract. Do the things that we ingest, is it the same mechanism? It just yes, goes, it goes further downstream. And so chronic UTIs are not normal. And that's why people, and women who get UTIs and are treated with antibiotics often develop yeast infections. And so the doctor, lots of times doctors will just go ahead and write a prescription for Flagyl or Metronidazole because they know that, you know, this patient's going to get a yeast infection after they've cured their UTI. Cured. Cured their UTI. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's just such a, you'd think that after the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. They're not getting a different outcome. They're always getting the same mm-hmm. bad results. All right, so that is um, enough on antibiotics. Um, I, if you ever are prescribed antibiotics, first make ask the doctor: Is do I really need this? You know, or are you just trying to get a good satisfaction survey score? Um, and you know, often in the ER, I would prescribe antibiotics, and I would tell the patient, "Let's just see, just give it a day or two. If you're not better, then start taking it. But let's just see if your body can." 
because usually it's a, a virus that is the issue anyway. And any, antibiotics do not work on viruses. No, first. they do not. But you can get secondary bacterial infections when your when your immune system is you know if you have a viral infection, it's a it's a symptom of a immune system that is compromised. And so bacterial infections, secondary bacterial infections can often take advantage of that situation and develop. And that's why lots of times um, you'll get antibiotics. But there's also that, you know, the, the patient screaming for it because a lot of times you will feel better. All you have is a virus but the antibiotic will make you feel better. You, you explain this mechanism to me that it's, a, well, some, it's an immune booster. Now, some, some antibiotics have anti-inflammatory properties. That's why doxycycline is prescribed for acne. And if you're taking doxycycline for acne, please stop. You're ruining your GI microbiome. And I know it might help, but you're going to have other problems develop if you don't stop doing that. And there are other ways to get rid of your acne. And there's other, there, what's causing your acne. It's not a doxycycline deficiency, okay? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, you know, people will come into the clinic or the ER and um, they'll get prescribed an antibiotic for a viral infection. And lo and behold, by day four, they feel great. And they think it's the antibiotic. But it was just their, their bodies. It was just the course of the virus. But they get that short-term feeling good because of that immune suppression that the antibiotic's occurring. But that's not helping their health and the curing of well, what's if going it, on. Well, if it's one that they get, a, a, if it's one that has an anti-inflammatory property, not all of them. I'm trying to do. explain the, the side because there's a lot of people like, no, no, I know I do better when I take an antibiotic when I have a virus. It's like, well, that's it. it it's a... It's a um, I don't. It, it's a it's a false positive. Well, they're confusing the the course of the virus with the with the onset of you them taking the antibiotic. Correct. Well, the tincture of times curing them, but also like I'm saying, they just feel a little bit better from which is, that. But it's not cu- killing that virus. They just happen to feel a little bit better. And that's not. There's other things you can do to make yourself feel better than taking an antibiotic, which is going to have so many downstream negative effects. Right. That's I, what, that's I, I just try to. Because um... I've had this argument with friends, like, nope, it. I know. I was like, no, you don't know. Yeah. Okay. okay. Anyway, just make sure you're not. Make sure you're taking antibiotics when you truly, truly need them. Okay. Um, the other thing is birth control and synthetic hormones. Um, sorry, <laughs> messenger again. Um, those things are doing a number on your GI health as well. They're not good for your GI microbiome, and I'm sorry. Um, synthetic hormones will never mimic you, the, your body's hormones. And then you're also adding additional toxic burden. Is that why the hormones in our meats also wreak havoc with the gut? Not yeah. Just, okay. And, and your detoxification um, add to the, your, your toxic burden as well. Go back to antibiotics and explain how to take probiotics with them. Oh, yeah. So if you're ever prescribed an antibiotic, the one that you really, really need, um, you need to be taking probiotics um, in between the doses of your antibiotic. Typically four hours is enough. To try to mitigate as much of the damage that is occurring with that antibiotic as possible. Yeah, typically four hours either side of it. Right. The antibiotic will not interfere with the probiotic. And then when you're finished with the course of antibiotics, you need to continue to take probiotics for an additional two weeks. On a heavier dose, not your normal dose. Right. You can't. Probiotics are not going to hurt you, folks. So you just don't want to take it when you're taking the antibiotic because it'll kill the probiotics well, while you're taking them. These probiotics can, <laughs> if you have a, a nice case of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, they can um, not be handled so well. So okay. let's don't make blanket statements like that because well, that's, that's not always the that's case. That's why you're the doctor. <laughs> 
Um, all right, so moving on, um, NSAIDs, um, things like um, ibuprofen, um, what, what are, Aleve, I think is another NSAID, um, non-steroidal um, anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs. These will, um, these are not good for your microbiome, and they also cause gut permeability. Okay, so you're going to get systemic inflammation when you take NSAIDs. Which will make you hurt more later. So we've got to get off the NSAIDs. Stop using them. Go back please. And wa- go back and watch our pain management yes. podcast. Please, please, explain, please. explains that really I see, well. I see a lot of, I, I work with a lot of chronic pain patients, and they're all on NSAIDs. Mm-hmm. And I. And it's a, it's a vicious it's a doula. Vicious doula. And why do you need them? Why do you have chronic pain? Okay. And, and once you uncover and address that, you're not going to need the NSAIDs anymore. And it's and everybody's cause is is different, okay? So and a bulging disc is not that's kind of the cause of the pain, but it's really you can have a bulging disc and, and not have any, any pain. Yeah, so don't immediately stop there. Um, and you can everybody has arthritis, mm-hmm. you know, to some degree, um, so, but that doesn't mean you have to have pain from it. Okay. okay? So the other thing, PPIs, these proton pump inhibitors, they were only supposed to be used for three weeks at a time and there are people that have been on them for years and it's impacting your microbiome and your gut function it's impacting the your 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 enzymes and the way that they work and you can't your foods aren't being digested like they should that's not a good um, thing for your for your GI tract and your microbiome because undigested food um, tends to feed those can cause some bacterial imbalances that are not good. What a friend of ours. And SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. The, the bacteria actually start migrating up in, in large amounts, more so than what is normal into your small intestine. And that can uh, really cause a lot of problems, with, especially with bloating and, and stuff like that. A friend of ours came to us with GI issues, and we were, um, they were going to go to their GI doctor also. We said, sure, go ahead and do both. And I guess they found out that he was also seeing a functional medicine doctor. Oh, that never goes over well. And, and sent him home with an article to prove that... One article that from the, the VA. From that proton peptides were safe. It did not address anything about the GI issues. It just said, hey, they're safe because we've done a study. In but why do they have all those side effects listed then if it's completely safe? So, I mean, choose who you're going to follow. We can't say who to follow, but... You there can. is no medication or pharmaceutical out there that is completely safe. Mm-hmm. Not but, one. But just the defensiveness of it. And I was like, well, the article didn't address the GI issues. It really just talked about toxicity loads or this. And they're not, they're not okay, it just like any of these studies, you can skew your study to look at. We know that it causes problems because we get them off of and their problems resolve. Right. So that, that's not a coincidence. And if you've been on them for a long time, they can be very difficult to get off because of rebound reflux. Um, but we use certain protocols in our practice to help you get off of those. And we've been successful with helping people finally get off the proton pump inhibitors. You know, while we're addressing the underlying reasons that they were using them to begin with, because the symptoms of too much stomach acid and too little are very, very similar. And the treatment plan for H. pylori using PPIs is completely flawed. I mean, it, it, so H. pylori does not do well in an acidic nature. So, hey, so a PPI should be good. You just lowered the, you just lower the acidity more. Well, 
the, which would theoretically be good to get rid of the H. pylori, but the H. pylori has its own mechanism where it actually creates a little microenvironment around itself that changes the acidity. So they don't, it, it's not going to affect. It's not experiencing. And, and so, but it, what happens though, it removes some other barriers for the H. pylori. So long-term, it's actually going to exacerbate it. And I was like, God, you can look at these studies. They're so, you can tell they were developed in order to sell the pharmaceuticals. Like, okay, I Well, can, that's who made the studies. Exactly. Come on. And they're trying to prove are, themselves safe, not trying to prove right or wrong. They have a product they want to sell. They're going to create a study that's going to say, see, I'm good. Yeah, because I know a lot of people who, you know, have, quote, reflux, and they take proton pump inhibitors, and they're like, it, it's not doing anything for me. And I'm like, you're... Your problem's probably not too much stomach acids. You're probably not producing enough. Because they look And the that same. food is, yeah, the, the symptoms often look the same, and your food's just kind of sitting there, not digesting, and you're belching basically fermented food, you know, and, and, and that's reflux. And so why is your digestive system such a mess? That's mm-hmm. what we want to, and it's usually lifestyle-related. Gotcha. Okay. So moving on, we're, we're getting close to the end here. Um, we've already talked about chronic stress, um, the poor sleep, the over-exercising, the burning the candle at both ends, and kind of what that does to your GI tract. Toxin exposures are another one. They directly impact your microbiome. Um, they directly impact your gut function. No way around it. And toxins come in many, many different forms. We're all exposed to them um, in various amounts, depending on where you live, what you're doing, what your job is, what you use in your house, your beauty products and all that. Um, but, uh, it's usually a, uh, cumulative effect. You've been exposed to these things over many, many years mm-hmm. and they just kind of build up and overburden your system. Right. Well, there's many of the probiotics and, and the SAC B would be a good example. Saccharomyces boulardii. Mm-hmm. Which is really good at removing toxins. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that if you were constantly bombarding your stomach with toxins, you're constantly using up these things that are great at detoxifying you, right. and, uh, binding with it, and, and then you eliminate it. But you keep doing that over and over again, you're using up your probiotics. So it makes sense that it would toxins would have a huge impact on your microbiome. And, and, and when it comes to toxin exposures, you just got to do it, you know, you, there's things that you can do to reduce your toxic load and your exposures. And that's where you have to first start is like, what am I doing in my home? you know, that I'm exposing myself to all this stuff. And going natural is always what I recommend. Good, good water is the easiest good one, Good water, clean food, GM, you know, non-GMO organic foods. Which, because they, otherwise they're going to have hormones, they're going to have mm-hmm. antibiotics. It's all these things we've named that Roundup. The Roundup, which again is a the toxin. glyphosate. Which is in the non-GMO, stuff, not in the non-GMO. So all these things you can see, boom, 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 you're hitting your microbiome. You make sure your air is clean. That, those are three things right there that have to be done. And we, tell, we yeah. tell everybody, you know, clean air, clean food, clean water. And then you start talking about beauty products, makeups, um, hair products, cleaning products, stuff that you might be using in your yard, on your pets, you know, a lot of things to consider. Mold is another one that's very toxic. And we've had, we have patients who have mold toxicity and um they always had these elevated liver enzymes nobody knew what was going on and all it took was a it was an hour to really go over their history and their it was evident right then that you got a mold issue right and then there's ways that we can you know work kind of lower your First of all, you got to get away from the mold. Your makeups are some of your worst effects. Yes, because they also have a lot of heavy metals in them. And who knows where they're coming from? If they're coming from China, there's no telling what's in your makeup. 
Yeah, I mean they'll put anything in there to make it mm-hmm. make it a lot. Work. A lot of uh, a lot mercury and lead are common in some makeup products. I remember my my mom growing up. She'd have is that you know the the, the tall bouffant hair the, the hair the aquanet just 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 yeah bathing uh huh like, bless her heart no and she's ninety and you know doing great but she has clean food and water yeah and all these smell good candles people are burning that's just and all the air fresheners that's you're just that's a lot of toxins right there too your laundry detergent's a big big yeah. big one that's mm-hmm. an easy one to correct right. Yeah. And remember, you don't have to correct them all, folks. If you correct your water and change your air filter and, and do a better laundry detergent, you've made huge strides because your body's a great detoxifying mechanism. Mm-hmm. So just remove... And so some- long as you're eating well, you're managing your stress, you're getting your sleep, you're, you're paying attention to gut health, you're exercising. Mm-hmm. Those are all ways that you can decrease your toxic burden and, and help your body get rid of the stuff that you do get exposed to. Because we're all going to get exposed to it. The genie's out of the bottle with the toxins. Right, but remove part of the load. Like, well, I can't do it all. Like, not asking you to. One thing helps. Yeah. It goes back to your analogy. Well, one thing helps, but you need to be really, you need to get serious about your toxic burdens. People just, I mean, just because the FDA says it's okay, don't trust it. The FDA also says you can put silicone breast implants in somebody and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And now we know these things are causing cancer in people. Well, they've been wrong so and many times. And breast implants, breast implant illness. That's a whole other episode. And we deal with these patients and they're sick and they get missed, you know, get called crazy in these mystery illnesses. And, and they've, they're walking around with these toxic bags in their chest. Well, how many times would you have to be wrong before you would quit trusting someone? Because the FDA, I don't know, and they, it's insanity. People keep keep trusting the people that are proving. I mean, they're just proven wrong all the time. They're right up there with Weatherman. They're they're <laughs> they're getting sued and winning and losing lawsuits, and and yet oh, but we're going to keep trusting them. Yeah. Why? I mean, they're really a Weatherman would be a good analogy that at least they don't impact you that much by forecasting rain or this. But I don't know they. But, but they're wrong. So they're, but it's, it's, Plans it, up a lot. It's a joke because they're wrong so often. The same thing can be applied with so many of our medical experts. Yeah, I know. Well, that's, those are the big ones that impact gut health, um, it, it, at least in a way that we can discuss in big chunks. Um, so it's, it's diet, it's antibiotics, it's, it, and, a, and a lot of your pharmaceuticals do it directly and indirectly. And um, metformin's a good one. It's prescribed for diabetes. Mm-hmm. Known side effects and ones that you see often are it's diarrhea and um, GI upset. But one well, of the biggest problems with diabetes is having is, a poor gut. Is having a poor microbiome. So what do you think diarrhea and GI inflammation, which you know is there if you're having GI upset, is doing to your microbiome? So short, short-term fix, right. long-term problem. Because we know metformin um, impacts the mitochondria negatively mm-hmm. like a lot of these um, medications do. So anyway, the, those are some of the things you can start kind of focusing on right right now um, and trying to be nice to your microbiome. And um, what are we going to talk about next in our series? We could do We've that. gone over stress, diet, um, the microbiome. Um, so we have sleep and exercise. We have and sleep toxins. and exercise and toxins next. And then we'll talk about some things like the, the stomach surgeries um, that are being pushed heavily onto people who have diabetes and they're they're, they're claiming that it, that it improves the microbiome when you have these um, bariatric sur- uh, surgeries we've had patients who have, have had two yeah a lap band and then a surgery they'll lose weight then it comes back 
with a lot more problems than, than just that. Because the larger the ecosystem, the easier it is to keep it in balance. And what they're doing is by the surgery and the lap bands, they're creating a, a smaller ecosystem that you're trying to keep in balance with, and you cannot. Well, it's really impacting the stomach more so than anything, but it's a, it's a, it can cause a disruption to the vagal nerve mm-hmm. highway that goes from your GI tract to your brain, and um, that's not good. And, and we just know it from I'm working. We work with a lot of these patients. They have it that's successful for the first two years, and then, man, they start having a lot of problems. Yep. A lot of problems. That's not going into all the absorption issues. And because the root causes of their obesity were never addressed. It wasn't too big of a stomach. It was a gigantic Band-Aid, you know, a surgery. I mean, think about it. Is, is the reason for your obesity that your stomach is too large? No. Or misshapen, and we so, need to just kind of slice some of it off. Well, why, there, why, there you go. Why You're would good. that possibly make sense? Yeah. And I know they'd lose weight, and a lot of people lose a lot of weight, but then... A lot of people gain it right back, and then they start having a lot of other um, problems that are directly related to their GI tract because of these surgeries. And the, their, their nutrition level because they're not absorbing some yeah, of the other... Yeah, a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of problems develop. Well, let's end it there. Okay. This is the gut-butt connection. <laughs> you want to lose your butt, you got to heal, heal your, your gut. gut. Yeah. Right. And if you want to lose your gut, you have to heal your gut. Because a lot of people don't care about their butt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of you don't have enough, don't have, a, you know, don't have any to spare, bless your hearts. Yeah, I've seen some small butts and it's, huge it's guts. It's funny how some, you know, some people, you know, they get the big bellies mm-hmm. and, and, and other people, we all kind of accumulate fat in different ways. Would that make a good episode describing body types to explain? Mm, yeah, because there's, there's some correlations, you that, know. The apple, the, the pear. The apple and the pear, you know. Typically, if you're having a lot of belly fat, that's a big cortisol issue. You know, you're secreting a lot of cortisol, a lot of inflammation. It, women who tend to get the, the big hips and the butts, it's more of an estrogen metabolism situation. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you're going to ask people to do very similar things to correct that. Yeah, I mean, it's with, just the way that their bodies... With guys, it's so funny. Some people just they get fat all over. Some of these guys will have a, a, a big gut, but it's hard as a rock. Mm-hmm. It's like that is not the kind of fat that you want. No, that's that's some very um, that's secreting a lot of inflammation. It's just a tight bubble. Yeah. All right, folks. We really we are really going to end it now. And we appreciate you. We appreciate you, and we will see you soon. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. I don't take nothing that a doctor don't prescribe. I don't do no drugs, man. I don't do no drugs, man. Zip roll, time.